So we are in, um, we are in the lesson, lesson eight, the Foundations of Life series, and this is, I think, one of the most important lessons that we as apostolics need to hear. I think it's a very important because it's going to help us to know what is the priority. In the last couple weeks, we've talked about, I think last week's lesson was, um, to me, one of the most powerful lessons that there is um, in this session because it shows that you can repent. You can do what you're calling repentance, and it does no good. No good whatsoever. And so we're telling people for years, you know, when they come to church, you got to repent and be baptized in Jesus' name and be filled with the Holy That's important. That's all essential things. But it has to be in the right order, and it has to be built on the foundation. You will not be able to build the temple of God unless there's a foundation. And that's so last week, I think that lesson really drove that home, how important that is, and how there can be a repentance that you've got to repent from. And the type of repentance you don't have to repent from is the type that comes from godly sorrow. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. So there is a godly sorrow that works, continually works, repentance to salvation. And that's the type that's not to be repented of. And then we talked about, so that's important. A lot of people saying, uh, you know, a lot of people say sorry. And have you heard people say sorry uh, and it wasn't based on godly sorrow? It's because they got caught. It's because, you know, they're a little bit embarrassed. It wasn't godly sorrow. And we looked at the examples and several examples, not all of them, but we looked at several examples in the Old Testament of people who got to that place of repentance. Godly sorrow that worked repentance. You know, that 2 Corinthians 7.10 type repentance. And every one of those examples we looked at was as a result of the revelation of God. So when you get that revelation of God, that's the thing that makes a difference. So that's why we preach it. That's why we teach it. That's why everyone has to know it. That's why it's our first message to anybody and to everybody. You must know who Jesus is. Because if you build on that wrong foundation, it's not going to make any difference whatsoever. And so uh, this is a continuation uh, and tonight we're going to talk about idolatry. And there are people that are guilty of idolatry in our churches, all of the churches today. You can go to just about any church. There's people that are guilty of idolatry. Maybe they're not bowing down and worshiping a gold or a silver idol, but they're worshiping a God of their imagination. And that's idolatry. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. And so I've decided not to go too fast because I have more notes that we can go through in one night. But I'm just going to go slow, take my time, and try to just make sure that um, we get all the important notes. If I can open my iPad. 
This is lesson eight, and we're specifically talking about idolatry tonight. And uh, we'll see, if, I don't know if we'll get past this, but what is idolatry? What is idolatry? Anyone ever memorized the Ten Commandments? You remember that song? I remember that song when we, uh, when I was a little kid, number one, we've just begun. God should be first in your life. Number two's the idol rule. Those graven images aren't nice. Number three, God's name should be never taken in vain. Number four, the Sabbath's for, you know. Get anyone heard that song? We sang it as a little, remember it? I remember as a little child growing up in church. Number five, we should all should strive to honor father and mother. Number six, don't get your kicks from killing one another. Number seven, life is heaven when you're true to your mate. Number eight, don't steal and break this rule for goodness sake. Number nine, don't be the kind who goes around telling lies. Number 10, don't covet when you see your neighbor's house or wife. So I rem remember singing that song as a youngster and I memorized kind of the, you know, the, the numbers of the Ten Commandments. But number two was that idol rule, right? Not to make any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, earth beneath. Um, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Exodus 20 tells us, starting at verse 3, that's where we have the Ten Commandments. So we know that there is no other God but one God. And that an idol is nothing in the world. We can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8 starting at verse 4. And we'll go through verse 7. The Apostle Paul writes, As concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. An idol is nothing. We know that. Um, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol, unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So we talked about that before, that idea, deference in lesson seven. And then First Corinthians chapter 10, verses 19 and 20 it says, what say I then that the idol is anything or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? Question. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. So since an idol is nothing in the world, why does he who really is God speak of idols as though they are actually gods. We know that an idol is nothing in the world. Why does he get upset when people worship him according to their own ideas about him? P. 
people have different ideas about who God is and what he's like. And why does he get upset when we worship him according to our own ideas? Why is he a jealous God? Why does he get disturbed just because men worship nothing? Because an idol is nothing. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and starting at verse 15, it says, But Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God, to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. Of the rock that begot thee, thou art unmindful, and hast forgotten God that formed thee. And when the Lord sought, he abhorred them because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a very froward generation, children in whom is no faith. We've talked about that. There's another example of a scripture that somebody that don't have no faith. You know, I was raised and I heard people say, everyone's got a measure of faith, right? No, there's scriptures that tell us there's those who have no faith, and we... We, we, just, we talked about what the measure of faith means. So children whom is no faith, they have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities, and I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. So why did he want, why did God want to destroy every Israelite except Moses. Why did he do that? They called a golden calf by God's name and proclaimed a feast to Yahweh, worshiping his name around the calf. And there's people that do that today. They're worshiping Jesus, but it's another Jesus. It's a God of their imagination. And we can see this in Exodus chapter 32. And so I think, I've thought a lot about that. I've thought a lot about what Aaron did when he formed that golden calf. And they worshiped that golden calf. And God was angry. He was jealous because they were calling that calf by the name of God. These are your gods that delivered you. That's what Aaron said that brought you out of Egypt. That's not God. That's not what he's like. That's not who he is. And so God was angry. And so when we go trying to define God in such a way that he has not defined himself, we are treading some dangerous territory. In no place in history or, you know, in the scripture, let me just say scripture. I meant to say scripture. We see it in history. But no place in Scripture did you ever see any of the apostles address God as a triune God. 
You never heard them refer to God as a trinity. Never heard them refer to Jesus Christ as a second person of the trinity. God did not evolve. The idea of God, it wasn't like the further they got away from Jesus Christ, all of a sudden we're getting a better understanding of who he is. That's not how it works. And so these apostles had perfect understanding from the very first and they preached and they began to understand. When they, at the time of their writings, they understood that Jesus Christ was fully God manifest in flesh. So Exodus 32 says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, <clears throat> the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. <clears throat> and Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which are in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. One molten calf, plural, G-O-D-S, Elohim. Elohim is the plural for God. It's, it's a, that's a whole other study. We, I think Regina, we got into that one night at our house because Metzl asked a question about the plurality. And so we, we ended up getting into this a little bit. These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, and when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. So they called the golden calf by the name of Elohim. So that's a problem. So God took issue with that. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 18. Yea, when they had made them a molten calf and said, This is thy God that brought thee up out of Egypt and had wrought great provocations. That calf was not the God that brought them up out of Egypt. They, even though they used the name of God, they put a picture to that God that was really not, God is not a golden calf. That's not who he is. That's not what he is. So the calf was an idol. It was nothing in the world. <clears throat> and they were calling upon the right name they, they were calling upon that name that they had experienced his provision and power. That was God, Elohim, but God was upset about it. <clears throat> and the reason is, is because God has revealed himself as the only God and expects everyone to know that he is the only God. <clears throat> so whatever men think their God to be is also what the one true God thinks their God actually is. So who is God to you? Who is God to you? Whoever God is to you, that's what God thinks your God actually is. And it might not be the right God. You might be guilty of idolatry. Because God has already defined himself. 
And if you define him in your own way, different than he's, he's defined himself, that's idolatry. And so I did this. Uh, I've shared this before, but I was carpooling to San Francisco. And um, there was two guys in the car. And one of the guys, he had on his um, lunch pail, I love Jesus. And then um, one, he said, he said, you know, I, I guess I don't believe in hell. I, you know, because if God is so loving, how could he send anyone to hell? And so that's when, that's the, one of the times I said, I feel sorry for you. And he said, why do you feel sorry for me? I said, because you are worshiping a God of your imagination. A God that, you know, based upon your feelings and what you think he should be like. I said, but the God that I worship, the God of the Bible, has already defined himself. And that's the way I have to worship him, whether I like it or not. And so I, I, see, I saw that he didn't really argue with me, but he, he, he listened. We, we maintained our friendship, just so you guys know. We, we stayed friends. Um. So if men think that God is three co-equal persons, then the one person who is God thinks their God is three co-equal persons. The one person who is God. <coughs> Whatever men conceive their God to be is what their God actually is as far as the one who is God is concerned. So... This causes no problems as long as men conceive of God as being the same as he conceives of himself to be. Does that make sense? It's not a problem if we view him the same way that he views himself. You know, that's why if you want to find out about God, you need to read what he, he said about himself, how he defined himself. And we have the scripture for that. God conceives of himself as the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has revealed himself to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. In John chapter 8, we, we might, we're not going to get to it tonight, but would they ask the question, where's your father? Show us your father. And in the process of him answering the question, he said, um, if you don't believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And the word he is italicized. So he said, if you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So it's, that's pretty serious. And there's a lot of people that don't really believe that Jesus Christ is the Father. And so they don't believe in the God of the Bible. So this, it's an issue. So is this an important issue? It's absolutely an important issue because we have that second rule in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments about idolatry. Any other concept of the identity of God is idolatry. Vanity equals idolatry equals imaginations. There are 34 names of false gods recorded in the Scripture, give or take. And how many gods are there in the world today? 
I don't even know. I think there's millions and billions. Of all these false gods, only one stands paramount in the danger it presents to the church. Just one. Do you guys remember which one it is? The one. The one false god that the Apostle Paul was worried about. Regina, say it out loud. Another Jesus. There is an idol out there. There is the true Jesus. There's the one that they preached. There's the one that is the genuine, true Jesus. But there is another one that's so close to the real Jesus that some people are deceived into following after another Jesus, the wrong Jesus, the false Jesus. Do you guys see it? And so the Apostle Paul warned us not to be led away by any means from the Christ in whom dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 1. <clears throat> Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, Paul writes, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached. And... I literally don't know if there is another church in this town that preaches the right Jesus besides this church. I really don't know. Because there's some that are preaching Jesus that um, he's a good man, but he's not God Almighty. You know, he was the son of God. He's a second person in the Trinity. That's not what the apostles preached. That's not what they taught. And people are preaching another Jesus that the apostles did not preach. And so you can see Paul was worried about this. He, said, he started with the words, but I fear, in verse 3. So verse 4, for if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might be well bear with him. And I've used this quite a bit. Um, we were door knocking. I've shared this before. Uh, we were door knocking, and, you know, that man, his face just lit up. He was just so happy to see us. And he said, oh, man, what church are you guys from? He goes, I'm, I'm from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Mormon. And um, it's good to see other churches, you know, because, you know, I didn't even know other churches did this, really, besides the Jehovah's Witness. And, and uh, I told him who we were, and, and then um, he was asking me some things, and I said, but you, you guys preach another Jesus. He said, we preach another, isn't there only one Jesus? I said, well, there is only one Jesus. 
but you guys preach a different one. And I seen his smile just come off of his face. I was being nice, but I was telling the truth. <coughs> Another Jesus that the apostles did not preach. Another Jesus so closely identified with the real one that the church itself had to be warned about the subtleness of the difference. Another Jesus who is just slightly, not quite, the one and only Lord God Almighty. Any Jesus who is not the only God and man and the man our Savior is a different Jesus. That's another Jesus altogether. And so it's our job, my job as a minister, to show the difference. There is a difference. And let me show you what the difference is. I had somebody come here uh, th th a couple years back, and they came, and they said, Hey, well, man, we're Pentecostal too, and this and that. And that. What do you guys, you guys, what kind of Pentecostal? And I said, they said, what do you guys believe that's different? And I said, the main thing, the foundational thing is that Jesus is the one and only God manifest in flesh. We do not believe in a doctrine of the Trinity which was invented and created and evolved over the years. And it was first codified in the fourth century. I said, and I seen their faces. Oh, what's the big deal about that? I feel like you're making uh, mountains out of molehills. And that's, and I said, no, this is important. God's identity, who he is. It's the foundation on which everything is built. That's where it all begins. I mean, I seen their faces change and, but I have to be able to make the difference. God was not pleased when the priests failed to show the difference between the unclean idolatry and the clean faith. God was not pleased with the priests. They had to be able to show the difference between the holy and the unholy, between truth and a lie. We must have our whole Christian life and experience founded upon him. Ezekiel 22.6 says this, her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Did anyone here remember the story that Brother Readout told? A few years ago, and um, he, uh, he was preaching, at, uh, and men, maybe men, many years ago. Actually, I think it was, um, you know, 30, 40 years ago. But he was preaching at the church, and as he's preaching, <clears throat> in walks a man in the back. And the guy looks like, you know, he had some work clothes on, work shirt, paint all over it. And he came and he sat down. And um, he, Brother Readout, finished his preaching. And after the service, this man came up and said, man, he goes, I got to tell you what happened. He goes, I'm a pastor of such and such a church. And I'm just taking a leave of absence. I'm on vacation right now, which that I don't get. <laughs> How, okay, I don't understand that. How somebody can call themselves a man of God and not be in church on I don't understand that. That just doesn't make sense to me. I, I was raised differently, let me just say. And so he, 
he was telling Brother Readout that he was driving past the church to go to the paint store, and he felt this urge and this thing from the Lord to pull into this church. He knew a little bit about these apostolic people. You know, they're a little bit different. They're a little bit cuckoo, you know, crazy, crazy people. He knew a little bit, but, you know, he continued going past, got to the paint store, and it was closed. So he came back, and then, you know, he ends up pulling in, and he comes into the church, and, you know, he's there late, of course, and he hears uh, Brother Readout preach, and he comes up, and he goes, I would like you to come and preach at our church. And he says, well, well, are you the pastor? He goes, I'm one of the pastors on staff. I'm not the senior pastor. Brother Readout said, well, I'd have to have a phone call and permission from your senior pastor. He said, okay, I'll be, I'll be right back. And um, so they go, he goes, and the senior pastor calls him and said, hey, you know, this pastor was really impressed with you, what, you, what you had to say. We would like you to come preach at our church. And he said, on one condition. You're going to let me preach. You know what I believe. Our difference is you're going to let not put any hindrances on what I preach. He said, no, we won't do it. Yeah, we, you preach whatever you feel. And Brother Readout said, man, I'm going to, he's thinking, I'm going to convert this entire church. And said he got to that church. You remember hearing the story, Christy? He got to the church that morning, and he preached one of the great oneness messages he ever preached. And they were all saying, Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. They were just so excited. They were all supportive. And it made no difference. And he left and he was so disturbed. And the Lord showed him the importance of making the difference, showing the difference. Because while he's saying there's one God, they're saying, Amen. There's one God. One God. We're saying there's one. They're saying there's one like this, right? They've redefined the word one. They've redefined it altogether. So anyways, I don't know if anyone remembers hearing that story, but uh, when Brother Readout comes, one of you guys ask him about that story. <laughs> um, I probably didn't tell it just right. He could probably give a little bit more details, you know. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. I was standing out here yesterday afternoon, 4 o'clock, between 4.35, 4 and 5, I don't remember what time it was, talking to the detailer who's drawing up our building right now. And he was telling me that he is Buddhist, you know. So he goes to these, uh, you know, meetings, and he said one of the ladies is just so angry and just talking really bad about Christians and Christianity. And he said, I stood up. And I, and I said, I, you know, I have a lot of Christian friends who are just really good people. You can't say that about every single Christian. And so um, he said, you know, of course, you know, some of these people, they're just so legalistic. And then that's when I began to share with him 
you know, the law is not the issue. The law is not bad, right? It's not, it, there just had to be something greater than the law. The law of the Lord is perfect, Psalm 19. And I began to share with him in Romans how it's spiritual and how it's holy. So that's not the issue. Hebrews tells us it doesn't have the power to make you perfect, even though it's perfect. All it can do is if you've messed up, guess what? The love, it condemns you. So I began explaining, and we were just having a little discussion and in a in talk. Because uh, <clears throat> that's where we're at. Anyone who has any standards, anyone who believes in right and wrong, the world's starting to look and say, evil. Because you say my lifestyle's not right and I can't go to heaven with this lifestyle. You're evil. You're not accepting of all people. And so they're already, we're already here where they're calling good evil and evil good. All these people, oh, everything's good. Everything's acceptable. Everything's lovely. It's, it's all good. No matter what you do, what, no, no matter. Everyone's good. It's, you know, everyone dies, everyone goes to heaven. Nope. It's not true. Everyone does not go to heaven. The Bible says few. F-E-W, right? Very few. And even fewer than few. Right? Did you know it's fewer than few? And not only that, it's even fewer than fewer than few. Do you guys remember the message that I preached a number of years ago called The Few? You know, The Few. It's fewer than fewer than few. It's few. It's just very few. Very few. Right? Straight is the gate, narrows the way. Few there be that find it. The other scripture says, few shall be able to enter in. Right? Even if you did find it, very few of those few would be able to enter in. But it starts with the very few who find it, and that comes as a result of searching. Very few are actually searching. You don't just happen upon uh, eternal life and accidentally, serendipitously. That's not how it works. But if you begin to seek and to search, and to, you might find it. And if you do find it, you'll be one of the few. And if it, it, one of those few would be, few of those would be able to enter, right? So we talked about the few, the few, the few. So that makes me evil according to some people's standards. Because I would dare say that somebody might not be saved. And in some people, they think I'm evil. But I have to draw the line. I have to show the difference, right? So that's what we have to do as the people of God. So Nehemiah 8, 7 and 8 Oh, I'm just, oh. Also, Jeshua and Bonnie and Sherebiah and Jamin, Akub, Shebathai, Hodijah, Messiah, Kelida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law distinctly and gave the sense 
and cause them to understand the reading. So that's the job. That's what, that's what the job of the ministry is, to show the difference, to give people the sense, to help them to understand what God's word is saying. Ezekiel 44, 23, it says, they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and profane, cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. So that's what the ministry, that's what our job is. So only by making the difference known are we really giving people a choice, the opportunity to know the truth. So we must teach oneness in contrast to all the another Jesus doctrines. That's what we have to do. Um, we must teach oneness in contrast to the Godhead teachings of Trinitarianism, Christian polytheism, Judaism, Islam, pagan polytheism, and all other errors. I heard something. This was a little bit disturbing. I just heard it today. And I don't remember which podcast I listened to. Um, uh, was listening to it might have been brother readout this morning but I heard that there was a Jewish man and a Muslim and a Christian and the Jude the Jewish man said he would convert to Islam before he would convert to Christianity because at least they know there's only one God They don't necessarily agree. There's so many things they don't agree with. But at least the Muslim believes in one God. And the Jewish people have this idea that Christians believe in multiple gods. Tritheism. And the very strict Orthodox Jews are very much against that. And I told you guys the story. And I'll share it again. Maybe somebody was not here when I shared this. But Brother Smith told me a number of years ago. Do you guys remember this story? The leading, um, <clears throat> one of the leading archaeologists from, uh, from Israel came. Do you guys remember the story? And he was here in the United States doing a, um, a speech. And there was a lot of Christian pastors there. And he was talking. And he was talking about some of the archaeological digs and things that they found in Israel, and he talked about Jesus. And somebody raised their hand and said, um, well, I hear you talking about Jesus. And he goes, well, yeah, yeah, he was one of ours. He was a Jew. And then he continues to talk, and somebody raised their hand and said, you know, as much as you talk about Jesus, why aren't you a Christian? He said one word, Trinity. And Brother Smith told me that when that man came down after his speech, he sat down next at the table with my dad was there, my mom and, and uh, Brother and Sister Smith. And Brother Smith said, I don't know if you realize this, but you sat at a table with Christians who believe in the oneness of God. And this Jewish archaeologist seemed surprised because he, did, he didn't seem to know that there were such Christians who believed in strictly one God, monotheistic. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. So anyways, I maybe got through half of the five pages 
But I told you I didn't want to go too fast because, you know, we're just going to have to pick up right here at this spot. So if you have any questions, um, let's see.